Hi, everybody. Hi. I think we're on. We're live. We're going. We are. Hi, everybody. We're glad that y'all are here today. It's a chilly day. It is a chilly day. In it fact, feels Carl colder. and Diana, who lived down, you know, way south, said it was chilly down there. Of course, I typed your name Diaba <laughs> instead of Diana, but there we go. Where are we? There we are. There okay. we go. We so, just need to get closer. I know, dear. Yeah. Yes, we will. We'll get closer. Yes, everybody's going to get sick in a minute. So, um, wow. So we went to Trunk or Treat last night at St. Andrew. We did. They made a last-minute decision to move it inside. Good call. It was a great call. <laughs> um, felt bad for the people who really were going to do their, their trunks up. But everybody, I mean... They, you got you got to just, see all the kids' costumes. Yes. Because oh, otherwise, they would have been all wrapped up in overcoats and everything. But people moved whatever they, they were going to do outside in the trunk to an inside And thing. our grandson, Nate and Leilani, kind of a last-minute thing, but they put together a trunk. It was a very popular. It was. Kick the soccer ball into the goal and get a candy. piece of candy. Yes. And Nate and his girlfriend, Leilani, came dressed out in their... In Nate's refereeing year, because um, he referees soccer on the weekends. He does for for yeah. smaller kids. And it makes, in my estimation, a pretty shocking amount of money yes. for coaching little for for refereeing little yes. kids uh, soccer games. Because he's only fifteen, he could not make that money anywhere, anywhere else. Yeah, anywhere. But I want you know, that job. <laughs> yeah, but you know all the little kids like Nate, right? Oh, they do. They do. Because he's always smiling, and he's yes. you know he's he's yes. he's got his own skills yeah. and yeah. everything, and I'm sure he's very uh, very good with them. And there I'm sure were good. so wow. many kids. We can't even possibly describe to you how many kids. They did tell people who were doing cars, plan for a thousand kids, which of course they were kind of like exaggerating it a bit. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I can't even imagine what the number is. But Courtney thought they had enough candy for a thousand kids, and they were getting. They were worried about running out. They so. were afraid they were running out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They started out in the beginning giving four pieces of candy to every kid. Yeah. And then, then they, they just kept Three, coming. Two, one. Yes, and then they were down <laughs> to one. So uh, anyway, it was so, really it was a very fun um, event. If you ever wonder where the future of St. Andrew's coming from, going to come from, go go up to one of these kids' events yes. and just be, wow! Yep. So many, so many children and young families. It is great to see. It is, it is great to see. You know what's so awesome at those what? events too? How many dads are a part of it? Everybody really. There were so many young dads with their kids and their wives. And, you know, I think a lot of places you don't see that. It's the mom just being a part of it. But Certainly when I was growing up, it was always just a mom. Ma but as I've noticed at St. Andrew, dads are very involved. They really are. With their kids at St. Andrew. Yep. They yep. really are around and visible all the time. So today we're going to return to Esther. We are. And we're going to finish Esther today. So... Um, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Festival of Purim. So I'm just glad everybody's here yes. on this, uh, the eve of Halloween, which is the eve of All Saints Day. So are you going to talk about today what we're going next again? I'll this say it now. I, I may not get to the slide, but we're going to do Numbers next. Numbers. Now, Numbers is a book that I always shied away from because it does have a lot of census stuff in there where they're just counting things but really i i i shouldn't have been that way it really it is the book that tells the story 
of how the Israelites left Mount Sinai after getting the law, going to the promised land, chickening out. God told them they were then going to have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and then come back ready to cross the Jordan and enter the promised land, which story, and that story is told in the book of Joshua. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's what we're going to do. And so I think there we might will, be stories that a lot of us have never studied. How about the, you want quail? I'm going to give you quail story. You heard that one? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> Arthur wanted to preach on that one yes. Sunday, and he did. <laughs> you want quail? I'm going to give you quail. Uh, complainers. Yes, yes. yes. But so many times, you know, I've been in your class forever, and so many times people will ask the question, but Scott, why didn't, why didn't he just take them there? He promised them this place. Why did he make them wander 40 years? And it's, no, it's, it's a good story. It is a good story. They make a beeline for it, but you know, they, he, he, he yeah. kind of treats them like adults. Okay. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't have to, but yeah. free will again, you're losing out. Mm -hmm. So anyway, okay. Shall I pray us? To get started? Yes, okay, please. let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here on this Monday. It's a chilly Monday, but it's a beautiful day outside. And it reminds us, if we need reminding, of the goodness of your creation. And we are grateful for this fellowship, this online, this fellowship that we have had for a long time now. And we pray that your Holy Spirit, who moves among us, will fill us with uh, energy and enthusiasm as we uh, close out the book of Esther and prepare ourselves to begin the book of Numbers. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. All righty. I'm moving over. So, let's see. Esther. Gosh, is it... I Every time I come to Esther to get ready for this class, I am just blown away by how appropriate the book of Esther is for what's happening in 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 Israel and it's the book of Esther is this is this cry out of of um, for strength and salvation and is all about um, saving the Jews from hatred and death in the Persian community. And it's, it's I don't know where in the Bible you would go to find a story more um, suitable for right now than the story of Esther. In fact, Patty and I were at lunch yesterday and we were bouncing around ideas for classes and things. And I said, well, you know, you could almost do a class on from Haman, okay, the bad guy, from Haman to Hamas. And and look at the <coughs> perseverance of the Jews in the face of pretty well relentless persecution. And now it's all just now it's all just brought home again right now before our eyes in the last three weeks in ways I never thought I would live to see in ways I didn't think were possible. So um, we are in the beginning of the ninth chapter. So a lot of the story has happened, okay? So there are two edicts that have gone out um, from the king and there's this 
kind of odd thing that the king can't simply retract an edict, but anyway, there's an edict allowing the people of the provinces and in the capital to attack the Jews, and then there's an edict allowing people in the provinces and the Jews in the provinces of the capital protect themselves. Haman has been found out. He's been shown to be the monster that he is, and we saw last week that he was hoisted with his own petard, to use that famous phrase, and impaled on the giant 75-foot pole that he had erected because he thought he was going to get Mordecai put on that pole. But no, it's Haman, and now Mordecai has risen up to a position of prominence, so much so that there are people in the empire who want to become Jews. You know, everybody wants to back, I guess, what is it? Everybody wants to back the winning horse, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, wow. So in chapter 9, when it begins, we have, we have the two edicts. And, and that's what this is going to be about, these, these two edicts. One that allowed the people to slaughter the Jews and one that allowed the Jews to protect themselves. And I was, I may have mentioned this last week, I don't know, but I will again. I was reading an article by a woman um, in Israel and she said, you know, people keep talking about October 7th being like the Holocaust. She said, well, the difference is now we can protect ourselves and we are. Right, and that's really the whole reason that Israel, the nation state, exists is for the protection of the Jews who have emigrated there. That's it. That's that's their number one thing. It was to be a safe and secure place for the Jews to live, and um, uh, that's that that's kind of what the Book of Esther is extolling. So. Anyway, if you would, turn with me. i got to get my iPad in the right place here. To the ninth chapter of the book of Esther, beginning in the first verse. I've got to find it myself. My iPad went dark on me there for a second. Okay. So, Esther, Scott, Esther... Chapter 9, verse 1. All right, so is everybody ready? We are ready. Way to go, Patty. <laughs> <laughs> now, when the 12th month, you remember the edicts, when the edicts were issued by the king, there was a number of months, almost a year, between when the edict was issued and when these days of carrying out the edict, edict were to arrive. In the month of Adar, that's, that, that's the name you need to remember, this month of Adar. Okay, so now in the 12th month, this is a lunar calendar, so 12th month is nearly to the end of the um, year in the calendar. Now in the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, on the 13th day, when the king's command and edict were about to be executed, carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain power over them, but which had been changed to a day when the Jews would gain power over their foes, the Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those, that's Xerxes, 
Remember, he's got two names, basically. So uh, what, 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 um, oh, I know what I'm doing. Wait, you're back NRSV, up, back up. Yes, because I changed for another purpose. Yes, um, the um, Lawrence thing last week. Yes, yes. let me I go back. Say, okay, I don't think uh, most yeah. people are right with you on this. <laughs> there we go. I didn't realize, yep, I'm back in the NIV. Okay. So let's go back to verse 1 real quick, All because right. I was, when I hit Ahasuerus, I knew something was wrong. On the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned, and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities and all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them, because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them, because they had, I guess they had the king's power behind them, and Mordecai is at the top of the, top of the food chain, so to speak. And all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's administrators helped the Jews, because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces, and he became more and more powerful. So just imagine that you are a Jew who has been persecuted and, 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 and you, you have this story about the Jews winning. Mordecai, just this guy who has risen who has risen to this position of power and prominence in the in the Persian Empire. It is a it expresses the heart of of per persecuted Jews, their hope for um, their hope for freedom and power and um, control over their own lives. Verse 5. The Jews struck down all their enemies with a sword, killing and destroying them, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. They also killed Parshandatha, Dalphon, Espatha, Paratha, Adelia, Aridath, Parmashta, Arisai, Aridai, and Vizatha, the ten sons of Haman, sons of Hamadatha, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. But they did not lay their hands on the plunder. So if you will recall, um, when the edict went out, it said that the Jews could take the plunder. They could they could take the loot um, from their enemies, but they don't. They don't. Um, and we see here that the ten sons of Haman suffered the same fate as their as their father. And it's a way of saying what? It's a way of saying that Haman lost everything. He lost his life. He lost his wealth. He lost his legacy. The line of Haman, the household of Haman, 
has come to an end. And just think back, just a few chapters ago, Taman thought he was on top of the world. Boy, he did. The king was going to honor him. He was going to get led through the streets on this powerful horse, wearing the king's robe, and oh. Wow, wow, but now, now where is he? Dead, impaled on that pole. Verse 11, the number of those killed in the citadel of Suda, Susa was reported to the king that same day. And the king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? It will also be granted. So she is really in her, herself in a position of a lot of power and prominence, right? Yes. She, she is um, she's directing things. She is driving things. Um, and she says to the king, if it pleases the king, and that's all she says, there's none of that other deep flowery stuff this time, it's just if it pleases the king. She is really feeling, what we're, feeling, feeling her oats, is that a phrase? Feeling her oats, feeling strong, uh, feeling brave. If it pleases the king, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also, and let Haman's ten sons be impaled on poles. So, now, it is easy to focus on this as sort of glorifying bloodshed and, and all that. It's not, it's not about glorifying bloodshed. It's about glorifying safety. It, it is expressing the heart of people who have a strong desire to be safe and in some measure a desire for revenge against their enemies. And the sons, their bodies are now going to be impaled upon poles and the degradation, the, the exposing a body, a corpse in this way was the greatest degradation there was in, in the world of the Jews. And so it's, it's, this is about, it's deeper than just revenge. It is about having control over your life. Agency is a word that sometimes used to talk about. They, and it expresses that heart. So let me show you another example of the same thing where, where there's a piece that really is expressing the heart of a people who have been persecuted, right? Because the Jews in Persia, are they're all exiles. They were all ripped up from their homes and sent, and now it's their children or their children's children, but they have, they're not where God had planned and for them to be, where they were supposed to be in the promised land. Instead, they were, they were in Persia. And even if they had chosen to um, to remain there, it was it seemed like it was almost nothing 
just an offhanded comment for the king to allow Haman to send out this edict to have them all killed. Can you imagine such a thing? Remember back to chapters 4 and 5 and back in there when the king just sends the edict out? Ah, okay, all right. We'll, we'll just get all the Jews killed. Wow. But now, now <coughs> the tables are turned. So keep, we'll come back to Esther 9, right where we are in a moment. But for now, go to the book of Psalms, chap, Psalm 137. Yep, there's a lot of psalms there, but we want Psalm 137. This is always such a shocking psalm to people because they want to imagine that, that God is unwilling for us to... I. That was my sound effect for having trouble getting my fat fingers to make the... To Yesterday make it was oy vey, today oy it's vey. just oy. <laughs> Is that what you're saying to me, Patty? You did Let's... during your class yesterday, your 11 o'clock class. Did something I? didn't work right, and you said, Oi, vey. Yeah. My mother used to, she had a dictionary on our shelves. It was a Yiddish dictionary. And so we used to thumb through it and pick up a few Yiddish phrases and expressions and so forth, most of which I have forgotten. But yeah, that comes out of me once in a while. So look at Psalm 137. Now, does this, before we even read this, this psalm does not express God's desire. It expresses people's hearts. It is honest. It is an honest expression of how they feel. And it expresses the heart of Jews who have been ripped up from their homes and shipped a thousand miles away to Babylon. Thousands of Jews have been killed. Babies, women, men, children, and now thousands more have been sent into exile in Babylon, and this is, this is their song. They say, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplar trees we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rock. Wow. 
There's a lot of darkness in that because there's a lot of darkness in the suffering that the Jews have had. And it's a, a lie to deny that people can rage in the face of, of atrocities. Again, I'm, I'm doing a lot of reading these days about October 7th and the aftermath, and thoughtful Israelis are saying that for us in the West, it's hard for us to grasp how much this, what happened on October affected their uh, 7th, affected their psyche. It's hard for us to grasp the depth of the rage that is felt throughout Israel. Because the numbers of dead are mind-blowing when you look at the population of Israel. But the atrocities, the inhumanity of it all, And, and, and as I said a few minutes ago, they, Israel is there, the nation state is, is there in order to protect the Jews. So here's a psalm that expresses the Jewish heart by the rivers of Babylon after they have been uprooted from their homes, sent into exile in the midst of con countless atrocities by the Babylonians because this was a very, very violent Time, of course, and the Book of Esther is the same thing. It's just an—it's not a psalm. It's—it's it's a story, but the story expresses the Jewish joy at the prospect of freedom and control and power and turning the tables. on those sworn to kill them, right? What, is, what, what, what did Haman want done? Haman wanted all the Jews in the 127 provinces to be killed. What does Hamas want? All of the Jews to be killed and for the state of Israel to no longer exist from Haman to Hamas. It's not unclear to me, if it is, even though it might be unclear to some. So. Sounds like a good title for a series. Could be. Verse 13. So Esther says to the king, If it pleases you, if it pleases the king, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also, and let Haman's ten sons be impaled on poles. So the king commanded that this be done. An edict was issued in Susa, and they impaled the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they put to death in Susa three hundred men, but they again did not lay their hands on the plunder. There's no profit in this. There's no profit in this. But if they're going to live in peace in Persia, this has to be done. Because otherwise, they would all be killed. 
Verse 16, Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces, that's all, you know, think about the city. This is kind of like Susa, the city folks, and everybody else, the rural. Now, that's not actually how it is. But I told you this, this is a story, right? So, meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. Here's, here's the picture again of this map. All of the yellow is the Persian Empire. All those places, including Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Gaza, Damascus, Tarsus, Nineveh, Ecbatana, Persepolis, all the Jews in all these 127 provinces are slated for destruction. But they have now been given the authority and the power to fight back, right? That's what this is about. So, meanwhile, back to verse 16, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them, but did not lay their hands on the plunder. So now the number has gone to a crazy number. Hi, that's hyperbolic. That's exaggerated. It can't be 75,000. Populations in the ancient world were not large. It's meant to express the magnitude of the victory and the consequent safety that will come from it. The safety that will come from it. Verse 17, this happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. Verse 18, the Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th, and then on the 15th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. Okay, so now we get verse 19. That is why rural Jews, those living in villages, observe the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting, a day for giving presents to each other. So Purim, which is the name of the festival, and we're about to learn about Purim, is actually a two-day festival. You see, because yes. in the story, the... The capital folks and the country folks aren't on the same schedule. Right. So you end up with, with a, really a two-day festival. That, that's, that's what's going on here because there is this festival of Purim and it celebrates what? It celebrates Jewish safety, security, agency, victory over its enemies. Is who, this still a, a practiced one? Oh, yeah. I've brought pictures. We'll get to those in a little bit. I have brought pictures. Don't you love pictures, Patty? I love pictures. We love pictures. I really, it's just like the maps. It really just yeah, helps make it all they do. real. So, now, verse 20. Mordecai recorded these events. And he, Mordecai, sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes near and far to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar. 
as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So, the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of all of the Jews had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the pure, the pure, P-U-R. That is the lot. It's just the Hebrew word for lot, for like throwing lots. Um, you know, lot throwing is really interesting in the Bible. When, after Jesus is crucified and risen and ascends to the Father, his followers are gathered in Jerusalem and the disciples have an immediate job, the 12. The 12 have an immediate job because the 12 are no longer the capital T 12. They are now the capital E 11. Why? Because Judas is gone. Judas has hung himself. Judas has betrayed Jesus. So there's only 11 and there need to be 12 of the capital T 12. Why? Because there are 12 tribes of Israel. And um, Jesus is forming around himself a new Israel. So they have to come up with a 12th member of the 12. The 12 capital D disciples, capital A apostles, however you want to think about it, the 12. So they cast lots. They roll the dice. Whatever they do, pick the straw, short straw, because for the ancient people, that is leaving it up to God. God is going to make it come out the way God wants it to come out. And so, um, right? Matthias? Right. Matthias is chosen. And here, way back, hundreds of years before, in Persia, among the Jews, and this would not just be a, a Jewish practice, but... Uh, as evidenced by the fact that it's Haman who uses it, he just throws the lot um, about the setting of the dates for, as it says here, the ruin and destruction of the Jews. And so the festival we're talking about is called Purim. And it's, yes, Patty, it is a festival celebrated until today. So it's celebrated in March. Um, generally, it moves with the lunar calendar, so the dates don't are not fixed because it's all set up by a lunar calendar, whereas we use a solar calendar. But it's um, it will be something when it comes time for Purim next March, depending on yes, you know what's happening and what has happened in in Israel. Think about think about what the festival is celebrating. It is celebrating, you know, the victory of the Jews here, the protection of the Jews, the survival of the Jews in Persia after the um, edict from the king to destroy them. So, verse 25. 
But when this plot, that's Haman's plot we're talking about here, came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme, then it is an evil scheme. And, you know, Haman has given himself over to evil, just surrendered to it. Those Hamas terrorists who who went into Israel on October 7th just gave themselves over to evil. Proudly, there was one who, who proudly called his mother and said, you know, Mom, Mom, I killed 10 Jews today with my bare hands, and the family's all cheering and everything like that. That's just, that's just giving yourself over to utter, utter evil. Charging to that music festival of all these hippie kids, from what I could tell, who were just there for a good time, listening to music, doing some dancing. Mm-mm, no. So, the king issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back into his own head. Onto his own head. That's what it means to be hoisted with your own petard. And that he and his son should be impaled on poles. And even though the sons were, were dead first, that's still where they ended up, right? Therefore, these days were called Purim, from the word pure. And this is about the instituting of that festival. Because of everything written in this letter, and because of what they had seen, and what had happened to them, the Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. And here it is, 2023, and there are still Purim festivals around the world in Jewish communities and synagogues and the rest of it. <coughs> so, any thoughts or questions, Patty, from anybody, from you, no, from anyone? No, no, Anything quiet, out there? Quiet group here today. Okay, so wow. Quiet group. Okay. So, verse 29. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm <laughs> Scott, to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of Xerxes' kingdom. Words of goodwill and assurance. You see, now these aren't words about murder and death and destruction and ruin and bloodshed and slaughter. These are words of goodwill and assurance. It's such a sad thing that we live in a world in which sometimes the achieving of a true and lasting peace requires the spilling of blood. It's a terrible thing. But we live in a very, very broken world. And we can't be naive about this world. And we can't be naive about 
the darkness that lurks in the human heart to which people can give themselves utterly and completely. You have to, you have to look evil in the face, even if it sickens you. You just have to because you you can't you can't begin to pretend that it isn't there. Because if you pretend that it isn't there, not only are you wrong, but you don't understand the depth to which we need God's rescue of us and the extent to which the world needs to be rescued by God. It's demonstrated time and time and time again, this darkness in the human heart and it and why we need God and why we throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus in this. So it's it, it all it's all tied together in this way. And what's so sad is that we are so many thousands of years from this time and um like some of you may have seen I just saw this morning for the first time the pictures from Russia where the um, Muslims in Russia thought that a plane filled with Jews was going to be arriving at the airport and they were completely out of their minds and out of control to try to find to slaughter these Jews they thought were getting off a plane. Luckily the Jews plane had been diverted but to see almost an animalistic type of behavior amongst mostly young men um, and all doing Allah Akbar which I couldn't help but say to Scott what kind of God do they proclaim to worship a God that would want them to do this do they really think that Allah Akbar they God would be thrilled and happy that they would have killed hundreds of innocent people arriving off an airplane just it's just the sad saddest it's a thing sad that thing we but that is you have to you have to you have to look it in the face and if you yes. are naive and pretend that's not so ooh, it's, yes true peace will be ever 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 elusive even true peace for time because i know we won't have true peace until jesus returns but we can have more peace in this world, but only if we're clear-eyed about it. So, all right. So the um, <clears throat> so the letter's gone out to in verse thirty-one to establish these days of Purim at their designated times, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them, and as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard to their times of fasting and lamentation. Okay, so, you know, fasting we get, lamentation is a word we probably should know better. Um, sometimes in the midst of suffering, sometimes in the midst of unspeakable horror, there isn't always something to do. Sometimes... As Christians, we just have to pray and lament about, express our sorrow for the brokenness in this world and the brokenness in, in the human heart. So, 
Verse 32, Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records. Okay? Chapter 10. So, King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores. Those are taxes. And all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are they not written down in the book of the annals of the kings of Medea and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes. That sounds like a little bit like Joseph, doesn't it? Yes. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews. Because why was he esteemed? Because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all of the Jews. This is a story about extolling and lifting up, expressing the desire for safety and security um, in the middle of persecution. I can, I can imagine how Esther was read as Nazi Germany was beginning their deadly persecution of the, of the Jews in the, in the late 30s. What is it about? So it's really, again, I just, my, my heart just can't get over the fact that somehow I decided before October 7th that this was going to be what we read now. And it's been very, um, very meaningful to me to read the story of Esther in this way at this time. I've done, I've done Esther before um, to do Esther at this time. So... Um, let me show you what I have about Purim, and then I'll see if there's any questions or things that I can answer for you. Okay, so here, here we go. So, if you go, if you were to put Purim into Google search under images, you find lots of Purim, Carnival, Purim, Festival. They're all like this, right? Because they are largely celebratory. Um, and they're characterized by several things, and and there's a Hebrew word associated, which I won't try to pronounce, and butcher. Exchanging gifts of food and drink, right? That we talked about, these portions, sharing portions one to another in the book of Esther. Donating charity to the poor, also specific to the book of Esther. Eating a celebratory meal, meaning... What celebration doesn't come with a meal? They all come with a meal, right, Patty? Everything, <laughs> Everything comes with a meal. 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 Food is just this, it's far beyond simply nourishment, right? It is something that we, that we celebrate around, that we share as people and as families. And so, of course, there is a Purim meal. Public recitation of the Scroll of Esther. Usually in synagogue, in synagogue, but not limited to that, because I found examples where it wasn't happening in synagogue. It was happening out in like a, um, uh, like like the carnival would would come to a close or something, and the reading of the 
Megillah, I guess. I'm not sure how to say it. But the, of the scroll of Isaiah, this story. And hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. That's what's been happening for now 2,500 years, I guess. Reciting additions to the daily prayers and the grace after meals. These are all ways to make Purim into this two-day two day festival. I saw what Diana Reeves asked if we were having di technical difficulties. That was way, way earlier. Okay. Yes. Because I'm not having any now. No. Never did, really. Yeah, that was um, very when we first started. Must be down in the hill country. Yeah. So this is one photo taken of a Purim festival and they're all, they're singing and I guess the gal with the microphone is Esther's are singing some sort of Purim song and it's probably the king there with the guitar. Maybe that's Haman. He kind of has the dastardly Dan mustache <laughs> with the hat behind him. Yes. Right? Something like that, do you think? Maybe. Maybe. You know, I, did, I didn't know how to interpret all the photos that I found, but here is one that's a little bit more serious, and you can tell by the dress of the boys in this that this is an uh, like a Hasidic or ultra-Orthodox yes. celebration of Purim. And so you can be pretty sure that, you know, I guess, well, I won't even hazard a guess. Any idea what that huge <laughs> thing that one feller in the front has got in his hands? Not a clue. Okay. Not a clue. But if somebody wants to research that, that would be great. But just as, just, I want, you could take this photo here. Come on. Come on, computer. Oh. And, right, and juxtapose that with this one. So you can see the range of Purim festivals, right? Yes, yes. So here, they're all just having a blast. Um, I love the girl with the Groucho Marx glasses. That's... That's awesome. Um, I don't know who's supposed to be what here, but they, they look like they're having, they're celebrating their what? Their safety. Here are masks that I found for sale at a Dutch gift shop. So obviously the one that sort of looks like a skull cap of some kind, that's got to be Mordecai. Yes. With the gray hair. And obviously in the middle... That has to be Beautiful Esther. Esther, yes. Right, right. And on the right, with the dastardly Dan mustache yes. and the peaked eyebrows and the cap with the triangle, which I will explain in a minute. Okay. The triangle, that is Haman. Yes. Okay. So this triangle business. So there's a special cookie that goes with this festival. And it's in a triangle, and it looks like this. It's a tri triangular cookie with usually fruit jam, but it could be something else in the middle of it. And it, but it's got to be shaped in a triangle, and it's called this, you know, Haman Dachshund or something. So, uh, and it, people don't really agree about how it originated where it came from. Some say it represents Haman's ears. Hmm. Some say it represents his 
I forget. Uh, maybe his nose maybe or something. It's some other thing associated with Haman. But it's supposed to be kind of representative of some old tradition about Haman. That isn't necessarily tied to this story because, of course, every story picks up, picks up traditions, right? But if you put this word or Purim cookie into Google, Google Images, you'll find all kinds of sites where you, that will have recipes and where you can buy these cookies that are for the festival of, of, of Purim. You know, Purim is like, well, at Christmas time, what do we have? We have the, we have a Christmas festival, really, and we have a lot of traditions around that festival that are not taken from the Bible. Haman's ears. Haman's ears, they ears, Haman's ears, ears, yes. Yes. Um, and the fact that there are three wise men not stipulated in the Bible, but we have three. And then we even have names for them. Those aren't in the Bible anymore. There's lots of pieces of the biblical story that we that we build and we create and we use in all of the little uh, uh, plays and, and so forth around Christmas time that just, they don't have, they don't come from the Bible. There's traditions that have grown up around this. And Purim is really, it's really no different in that. So, um, let me see. Lynn wrote something um, mm -hmm. there, Scott, that you may want to... Because we humans like to be around positive people, our ability to handle lamentations with our friends isn't always easy. But we can depend on God to always listen when we pour out our rage, anxieties, complaints, and sadness. Indeed, 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 indeed. We don't live in a time right now when people are comfortable with lamentation, sadness, loss. Um, I'll always remember I started using a, pr a provider of images for my sermons back in the day. And they had this long list of keywords that I could use to search for images. The keywords were invariably about victory, about lifting up and triumph. And very few keywords had anything to do with loss or, or suffering. And... It's just something that the world is uncomfortable with because the world, I, in my opinion, there are too many people who don't want to acknowledge that we live in a broken world, that we humans are broken, and there's nothing we can do about it. We cannot rescue ourselves, that we have to depend upon a rescuer, and without a rescuer, we're screwed. That's it. But we have a rescuer. And his name is Jesus. And, and so it's, it's, it's just, there's a, in seminary they talk about theological anthropology, which is a theological understanding of who, who, of who humans are. Clear-eyed, no rose-colored glasses, and things happen that remind us all of the time. Sometimes they're in the Mideast. Sometimes they are in Lewiston, Maine. And so we, we pray for 
we pray for rescue and we can take whatever sadness and lamentation we have and express them to God and we should not be afraid to tell people that we don't have a solution to every problem but we can stand here and pray with them and lament with them so thank you Lynn that is that is great so you've got a couple uh, little comments here. You know, it <laughs> See, it's you can crowd these guys I can crowdsource anything with this Monday afternoon it's crew. It's a great group. It's such a great group. <laughs> it did look to me. I haven't seen it in many years, but I can remember being just a kid and my parents having those old-fashioned things that you kind of swung around with your hand on New Year's Eve. And it did make a Kind of a real annoying noise. And I like the fact. That's what it I is. like the fact that it's called a grogger. A grogger. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that seems kind of suitable for New Year's Eve, huh, I guess. Yes. A grogger, and it makes a series of knocking noises. Yes. And oh, that's awesome. It's another Yiddish word there for you to remember. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> grogger is Yiddish for rattle. Well, thank you, Josie. That's great. See, we can find, this group can find anything out. Just give them a few minutes and they can come up with it. So, I guess that's it for this week because I don't, obviously we're not going to start the book of numbers with Did a few minutes left today. Did we actually just read chapter 10? Chapter 10 is like a paragraph long. Yes. I guess we did Indeed we did. Yeah, there's not much. Yep. I really don't even know why. You know, chapter divisions... And the verse divisions we have were done about 800 years ago by a couple of Englishmen. And I don't even know why they bothered to put a chapter division there, but they did. So we have it. We are the inheritors of their chapter and verse divisions. It's so, so nice to know. And, the, and Mordecai didn't let all this go to his head. And he still remained humble working hard for his people mm -hmm. speaking up for the welfare See? of the jews and so what's the story about right lifting up the welfare of the jews the protection of the jews and and that kind of thing right what what, what is israel fighting for right now right. in the mid-east today in 2023 the survival of the jews against an enemy who wants them gone dead dead and dead dead and dead you're right, Patty. It is an epilogue there at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's a small epilogue. I mean, I'm okay. So tomorrow in my Tuesday class, where we've come to the, uh, there are three. Count them: one, two, three. At least three. I have depends on how you count them, but there are three chapters worth of appendices to the book of Second Samuel, to the book of Samuel, and they're much longer than the little bitty chapter ten here. But anyway. So if Patty will come around, yes, I we're, guess we're we will. We're a little bit early today. We're going to finish up a little bit early today. You can go play. Yes. Whatever it is you would like to do. And when you come back next week, we'll we will begin numbers. the book of Numbers. That's right. We'll be, we'll be at Sinai. We will. The week after that, we will not be here because we will be. That's right. That's on. That would be November. 11th. We won't have class because Patty and I will be out of town. Should we tell them where we're going? Can we? Yeah. Sure. Don't, don't laugh. Care. We are going with, with no grandkids, but with our own son who's now 
33 and his wife were going to Disney World. Or if you want to make it sound more adult, we're going to the Epcot Food and Wine Fe- International Food and Wine oh, Festival. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's it. That's it. <laughs> but, um, yeah. We, we're just we, going to go get away for a little while, have a nice time. Yeah. We both we're both really enjoy Disney. Yeah. We enjoy the people watching. We enjoy the eating and the rides. And we haven't been there in five years. More than five years. That's right. The last time we were there was when Robbie and Savannah got married. Robbie and Savannah right. got married. Which there was five in what years year? Ago, 2018. Okay. Yeah. See, we're going back to celebrate with them. Five with years them. of marriage. That's right. There we go. So you can make it sound more and more adult, honey. That's right. They also got engaged there. Robbie yes. surprised her yeah. there. Yeah. And she was so stunned, she immediately did not say yes. <laughs> she was totally stunned. She had asked him one time, promised him not to get engaged at Disney World. He just didn't listen. He didn't he did listen. It, so, yeah. Of course, she took the ring. But. Of course, he did. <laughs> All righty. So, it's time to close in prayer. Um, we hope that some of you will join us tomorrow. Yeah. On Tuesday. Um, and what are we doing on Sunday in class? Because I don't think you ever mentioned that. We're doing the last the last week on the world religions because I have more that I didn't get to um, yesterday. Okay. So that'll be the end of that on Christianity. We're talking about Mormonism for a while. Then to Christianity, and I'll answer questions, and that'll put a wrap on that. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Alrighty. Please go with us in prayer. Holy Father, we thank you so much for this really beautiful day today. We thank you for the sunshine. We thank you for this time, God, to get together. We're fellowshipping, even though we're over the internet, Lord. And uh, we, we just thank you so much, God, for this group and how long we have all been together studying your word. We pray, God, that you would watch over us and our families, God, as we go about our day. And we pray, God, very much for those in Israel right now. Um, so many people in harm's way, Lord. We pray for all the innocents, God, especially who are trapped and just you know, so many people, God, just fighting for their lives and fighting for their freedom. We pray, dear Lord, that you will hold us close and bring us back together next Monday afternoon. We lift up all these prayers today in the name of your risen son, Jesus Christ, the answer. Amen. Amen. Adios, everybody. Bye, all Stay warm. <laughs>